Welcome, listeners, to the QBS Express, the ACEC Kansas podcast. I'm your host, Executive Director Scott Heidner, and it is my pleasure today. I am with Chad Bristow. He's the Director of Facilities for the Kansas Board of Regents, and we are recording in their offices in the Curtis Building. Uh, Chad, it is a delight to have you here. Thanks for making time. Thank you, Scott. Look forward to talking with you. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about today, and including some, uh, we've had this scheduled for a long time, so we can't claim any wisdom or intentionality, but we've got uh, some relatively current news to talk about as well and as the bigger picture of what uh, you do here with the regions and how it interfaces with our ACC members. So very much looking forward to this. Well, a lot of our listeners will know you because they do so much work in the vertical world with the regents. But even for those folks, uh, you've not been in the job a real long time. So why don't we start with some background? Um, give, give us the Bristow biography, where you grew up, how you got in engineering, your, your professional path that brought you here to the regents and all of that good stuff. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, grew up in uh, Leavenworth County, Kansas. Uh, Spent most of my time on my grandparents' uh, farm there, and uh, so kind of had an idyllic childhood building things and uh, could always draw as a kid. So, you know, those uh, inclinations led me to uh, study art uh, at the University of Kansas. Not where I thought you were going. Yeah. You said art. I thought you were going to yeah. say architecture. Well, and, and then, I, and then uh, you know, spent some time out in the world, uh, you know, swinging a hammer, doing construction projects, and... Uh, uh, discovered Studio 804, Master of Architecture program at KU, and and just said, "Oh, this is made for me." So, uh, went back and uh, you know, year or two later, and 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 finished that up. So, you know, had a professional architecture degree there, and that took me into working for uh, you know several firms uh, as I as I started in that career, and uh, worked for. Uh, design and fabrication uh, firm and studio for for some time and some contractors you know I kind of had one one leg in the in the creative and design world and the other leg in the practical and and building world Um, so you know really enjoy the full range of the uh, of the enterprise and so um, in 2015 I accepted an opportunity to uh, go to work as on the facility side as owner uh, project uh, design manager and construction project manager at the University of uh, Missouri, Kansas City, UMKC. Spent five years there and had a lot of great mentors in the UM system and at UMKC and and just knew this is what I want to dedicate the rest of my career to, serving the public with my professional skill set in this regard. Uh, and, And so but always had an eye out for an opportunity to serve the citizens and, and folks in my home state. And so when I uh, you know, discovered that this was a, a possibility, I, I jumped at the chance to apply and, and you, know, uh, you know, met a lot of great people and, and just really grateful for this opportunity. So yeah. it's a, kind of a dream job. That's awesome. And so you did spend or have spent the majority of your career on the private sector side 
up to this point. Very good. That's so, true. A lot in common with our listeners today. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, and you've been in this position for what about a year, give or take? Yeah, yeah, a little less than a year. Last August, we were listeners. We, Chad and I, got together prior to this to kind of pregame for the podcast. And one of the things we talked about, and you can comment on it, is what a what timing, you know, to start a job at the beginning of a pandemic and <laughs> a, lot, a lot of new uh, new skills that everybody's learned and using technology in, in all sorts of ways. But uh, yeah. I think everybody's trying to make their way through it. And uh, been yeah. here a year, but still shaking the hands of some coworkers for the first time here. In <laughs> that is very true. June of 2021. There's a lot of folks I haven't <laughs> met in person yet. <laughs> Well, with any luck, uh, Lord willing, we're on our way out. We shall see. Time will tell. Definitely. Um, you know, we're recording for listeners. We're recording this in late June. I anticipate it, it'll be a, a little bit before the podcast gets out, but maybe things, circumstances will even have changed by then. Who knows? Well, let's broaden out a little bit. That's good background for the listeners about you individually. But before we get into into any of the specific things, let's talk about the agency as a whole and what your mission is here and what your team does, um, the ways in which you interface uh, with design professionals, and maybe some of the things you do that our members that even do a lot of work with the Board of Regents might be surprised to know come under your remit. Tell us, uh, tell us about the job and your team. Sure. Uh, well, maybe just a little bit about the Board of Regents, uh, nine-member board appointed by the governor, um, you know, bipartisan, non-political, four-year staggered terms. Uh, you know, the the Board of Regents uh, supported by a board office staff of uh, almost sixty uh, folks. Uh, you know, between executive leadership, finance and administration, general counsel, and you know, government relations, academic affairs, um, data research and planning, workforce development. So a lot goes on, a lot of support uh, there for the universities and, and interfacing with, uh, with various groups. So um, with respect to you know what what I do on a on a daily basis. Uh, you know it's mostly dedicated towards the state universities. The board governs the state's six universities, uh, coordinates the community colleges and technical colleges. So there's a little bit different uh, relationship between what I do uh, in relationship to those institutions. So mostly focused on the state universities. Um, also. Uh, you know, so with with uh, the negotiating committee, which is uh, provided for in, by statute, I serve with uh, OFPM and the state university architects or facilities directors to select consultants on a qualification basis uh, for all state funded projects, whether those be standalone capital projects where, you know, uh, over a million dollars or even selection of on-call consultants that uh, many universities use in a, in a way for uh, small capital projects under a million dollars. Very good. And talk to me a little bit, just because we'll have a lot of listeners that interface with these agencies also. Uh, what interface, if any, do you have with OFPM and the State Fire Marshal's Office? You know, there are other agencies that work on the state's vertical infrastructure. Do they play a role in your day-to-day -day here? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about day-to-day -day necessarily, but, uh, you know, we definitely uh, 
coordinate on things. I mean, I, I um, you know, I'm in the loop on inspections and uh, plans of correction for for uh, state fire marshal uh, inspections and OFPM. You know, we 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 communicate uh, at least weekly, I would mm-hmm. say, and uh, do a lot of coordination and and uh, just sharing of uh, information about certain projects. You know, sometimes emergency projects arise and. And, uh, you know, definitely scheduling a lot of interviews uh, for all those selections that uh, happen throughout the year. Yeah, that's a that's an active partnership. If you think about it, there aren't, I think for most of us, there aren't that many stakeholders that we talk to once a week. You know, that's a that's a pretty dynamic interaction in and of itself. Well, that is a great summary, I think, of, of you know, what the agency does and the services you provide. And obviously that provides a lot of touches on our ACC Kansas members as they bring their innovation and design to the table. Let's switch gears again and talk about what's current. Uh, you know what's going on in the in the regents' world, um, whether that be legislation from the 2021 session or prospectively any policy ambitions that the regents might have in 2022, uh, or things you know that are going on in the regents' world in between. There's a lot of governance that goes on in between sessions, obviously. And uh, I know, again, for listeners, this is late June. There was just a meeting of the Board of Regents recently uh, with some pretty impactful conversation and changes, I think, that took place. Maybe that would be a great place to start. Yeah, definitely, Scott. That's... Uh you know, something that's been in the works for a long time, I might just step back just a little bit and, and describe that in 2020, the board commissioned, well, actually late 2019, board commissioned two studies. One, a facilities condition assessment for almost 500 buildings, and the other, a space utilization uh, study that was conducted on a smaller group of buildings, uh, about 275 buildings that you know took a look at how space being utilized in terms of efficiency. Both of those uh, took place in large part over the course of the pandemic, a lot of logistical uh, hurdles to overcome and a lot of folks coordinated to, to make those things happen. I mean, travel was difficult and getting boots on the ground to inspect buildings uh, you know, was a real puzzle to solve. But uh, happy to say that in October, November of last year, those two studies came to uh, fruition and we utilized that data to uh, provide for the legislative report that was due. Uh, it's a biennial report. So the, the space inventory, the facilities condition, and space utilization was all combined in one report this year and kind of tells the story of, uh, of, of the results of those studies. And as you can imagine, uh, you know, deferred maintenance uh, was, was higher than the last time it was measured. And uh, space utilization, this is not a, a huge surprise, but it, but it validates this, that, you know, theoretically there's more space than, than is needed. And that's, you know, measured by calculation, but also just by verification, you know, combining class scheduling and HR data. Um, so... You know, taking that information and and using it as a verification for one of the board goals. The board has a, a new strategic plan, building a future, 2020. It's a it's a really uh, great guiding document, and and then a series of goals that uh, that roll up into the pillars of that strategic plan. And and so deferred maintenance and facilities is definitely a focus. And so building on the foundation of the studies, knowing that this needs to be addressed, uh, policy 
and, and different implementation details and possible funding scenarios have been developed over the course of the months. So let me, if I can, let me try and summarize. We're going to have a lot of listeners that probably are extremely in tune uh, to funding for you know deferred maintenance and, and everything else, but uh, a lot of them might not be. And so let me offer a layman's interpretation of what I've read in the paper, and then you can steer me back on track anywhere I'm wrong. So you mentioned the deferred maintenance. Uh, I know that's a number that some investment has gone into defining and and looking at those facilities, but uh, over a billion dollars is what we're looking at currently. Uh, And my understanding, Chad, and again, you nudge me back on the rails with any of this where I get off track Currently, the primary funding source for that, there's an educational building fund, if I have my facts right. It's a one-mill property tax. And for a very long time, that has been the primary source of maintenance funds. Uh, I, I think an insufficient one in hindsight because we have developed you know, a backlog. And so... The big question that was grappled with last week, or it's been grappled with for a long time now, but to an extent came to fruition last week was, how do we find a solution to this? You know, if the $40 million has left us with a backlog, how can we do something different moving forward that's going to put us in a, in a position to, to take care of this investment? And the direction that came out of that was that an additional amount on top of the $40 million would be uh, produced each university. Uh, 2% of, of um, I'll let you define the term, whether it's the yeah. replace. Yeah. 2% of the replacement value. Thank you. Yeah. 2% of the replacement value should be uh, generated each year to take care of that maintenance and keep them in good condition. So that was that was my layman's interpretation, reading the paper and other sources. Um, feel free to correct away or, or add color to any of that. Is that close? Yeah, that's 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 uh, a pretty good synopsis of uh, of the topic. And and uh, what I would add to it is that you know the the EBF is uh, yes definitely has been. Um, classified as for rehabilitation repair of university buildings for quite some time and that's the 40 million dollars a year from the one mill property tax that's been in place for a while that's correct okay. yes now now to your point uh, of, of it being uh, insufficient i would uh, acknowledge that uh, you know universities try to leverage that and supplement that in various ways and you know projects are constantly uh you know, being funded by a, by a stack of, of funding sources. So they, it's not that uh, it's not that that's all there is, and that's all that's being spent on facilities. But if you use uh, rec- industry recognized rule of thumb of that two percent annual investment on your replacement value, that idea, that concept, basically um, provides for annual maintenance such that backlog of deferred maintenance doesn't build up right that's and that's to in a lot of uh, ranges that two percent's on the low end so of course it depends on the complexity of a building and the building type and the program and equipment and and, and other things but uh, as a as a guiding concept we think two percent is a is a great target um, now that's a heavy lift right as you said because all of that's on top of the EBF the EBF in, in the in the motion that the board adopted, um, 
the EBF cannot contribute to this maintenance assessment that's d defined in, in a newly uh, updated facilities policy. So, um, and, and while not in the policy, there is a, a recognition of, you know, the, um, you know, it's a difficult it's a difficult way to go to get from zero, let's say, if you're starting from zero to 2%. So right now we're looking at a six-year escalator, we call it, to kind of taper in and gradually get up to a funding level that we think would create a sustainable and effective way to not continue to add to deferred maintenance backlog. So there's a six-year... Um, what do you want to call it? Uh, I was going to say learning curve. It's not a learning curve, but it's a, a growth get, curve to get to that. Yeah. Get, to that threshold it gives you some time to figure out how how that can be possible i mean right now the idea is that uh, you know almost any funding source except for ebf can be counted towards it and i think it's uh, going to be different for different institutions but so federal money grant money endowment money whatever local contributions uh philanthropy yes all, all fair game yes yeah very good uh and the the backlog is that this is a total down in the weeds technical question that 1.2 billion and Chad you may have told me this in prior conversations and I forgot is that a percentage number or is that like a building by building analysis assigning a dollar value uh, more of a hard number as opposed to a it, it, it is an estimated number I'll say that uh, what we have in terms of data now is is very robust we, we've worked with uh, Gordian, who, who some folks may know, and uh, we have uh, over 17 line items of data for building systems uh, in, in, you know, again, almost half the portfolio represented in detail, granular detail in that, in, uh, in that facility's condition database. And each one of those systems is, uh, you know, measured in terms of their deficiencies or their lifespan. And then uh, they use RS means construction cost data to uh, adjust it for local and regional. Uh, we also adjust it for total project costs. So you've kind of got an a la carte, um, you know, uh, method of adding that estimate up there. We don't, uh, you know, put any adders on it at the end. It's kind of all built in. So it's a, it's a budgetary estimate uh, of the order of magnitude of the of the deficiency. So yeah, well, putting my or I guess I'm already wearing it, but with my ACC Kansas hat on, I will confess. In addition to uh, thinking about some of the needs of Kansas infrastructure being funded and met through this, uh, I am also very much selfishly thinking of all the projects that our members will be able to partner with you and your team on to to bring those things to fruition with the state, which is pretty exciting for us too. Yeah, definitely. You know, that brings to mind, uh, you know, some information that I was looking at there, you know, the, the need of the, the top project types that uh, might be needed in terms of this initiative as we move forward, you know, there's definitely always these large scale projects, new buildings. All of that, by the way, is it was in the purview of the facilities capital renewal initiative. That's the I should say that's kind of the moniker that we're using to kind of widen the angle from deferred maintenance. Uh, to more about uh, envisioning, you know, what facilities can be for the university in the future. What do they need to be to support the programs and the mission? Um, 
deferred maintenance is part of that, but we want to be more strategic than that, right? So if there are buildings that have need, it's not just that you, you know, start to pay for those upgrades, you know, project by project. It's that you might reconsider that maybe that building needs to be repurposed. Maybe, you know, in some cases, maybe buildings need to be torn down. Um, but the idea that, you know, maybe more projects under a million dollars start to emerge as folks really start to dig into this, uh, you know, makes you think of all the ways that the universities engage consultants. I think everybody's probably familiar, at least listening to this podcast, that, you know, there's there's standalone project selections where, you know, you pick the design team, the AE team, and they you know, design the new building or the renovation. And then there's a lot of under a million dollar projects that on-call consultants take care of. On that note, do you mind, uh, I want you to share this with our listeners, if you don't mind. You gave me some data on these on-call projects or contracts, I should say, that was, boy, it was it was enlightening to expose and expose almost as a negative connotation, but bring light to something that for our members is fantastic. The size of, of the on-call contracts that fall under the board of regions and the vertical world in general. Um, I think there's a perception out there that probably most on-call contracts with AE firms, E firms specifically would be, you know, KDOT or, or other places like that. Share the data point you did with me about the number of on-call contracts of the state and how much of them are in the vertical and the region's world. Yeah. I think uh, right now my understanding is that there's about 113 on-call consultant agreements. 62 of those are engineering firms. Now, if you just look, tighten the frame down to the Board of Regents, 55 of the 113 are Board of Regents uh, institutions and 27 of those are engineering on-call agreements so uh, yeah it's a it's a significant portion i mean the 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 state universities represent a significant uh, portion of the state of kansas uh, building portfolio yeah oh that's fantastic well to put a pin in that and move on anything else um, you know again we prefaced this with 2020 or 2021 legislation we've already talked about the facility study that was just completed that brought such a great amount of data for you all to use uh, or forecasting into 2022 anything you see on the policy perspective or other uh, decisions that have made administratively anything else you want to bring light to that's impactful in your world yeah, definitely want to acknowledge, uh, I think, a big win this year for, for everybody is uh, University Engineering Initiative Act. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, talk about a, a partnership that, you know, is a uh, you know, great example of, of successful, uh, you know, achievement working together and then obviously just a great, uh, you know, uh, benefit to the state yeah well isn't that the truth so again we'll have a a lot of listeners will know what this is but maybe a little recap for those that may not the uea uh, we did pick an awkward acronym for it but by golly it's an awesome program the university engineering initiatives act uh, produces it's the state's commitment to provide an additional ten and a half million dollars a year to the three engineering colleges in Kansas, which they have to match. So they have to bring a matching number of dollars to the table uh, to grow the workforce here in Kansas in those professional design 
services, uh, which is badly needed. And we just concluded a 10-year program of the original UEIA, which was awesome. Uh, you know, the growth metrics they put in place for the number of students and everything were exceeded. And the legislature and the governor, um, huge tip of the cat, cap to both of them, I think, saw the value in that. And they were great partners in us. Also, shout out KSPE, the Kansas Society of Professional Engineers. They were really the ones that partnered, Chad, with your team, the Board of Regents, to do most of the heavy list lifting on that. And ACEC supported them. But great win for Kansas. I uh, appreciate you bringing that up, actually. That is a good example of the partnership. We we on the design side worked closely with you and your regents team and shepherding that through the process and again we were incredibly fortunate to have leadership from both the legislature and the governor's office that were on board with that and and saw the value so yeah great win great win turned into a little bit of a monologue but that's okay we uh <laughs> good stuff yeah that was a that was a priority that uh, took a lot of our time and capital this year and now we've got that program in place for another 10 years uh we may have to do another podcast in 10 years and when we get the next one passed. Uh, anything else? Those are those are hugely impactful examples that you brought up, both the new policy and direction on, on funding for maintenance and deferred maintenance, and then UEIA as well. Those are, uh, my goodness, I can't imagine two more important, timely topics. Anything else that you want to bring yeah, up? Yeah, Scott, I might just add that, uh, you know, the – the whole facilities renewal uh, effort is, um, you know, it's based on a lot of work that's taken place so far, and, and I would call that a, a good foundation. Uh, we've got, a, uh, you know, a challenging and aspirational goal to, uh, you know, change the direction for deferred maintenance and facilities renewal. We've got a lot of work ahead of us still, right? And that's, uh, like you said, finding that funding, trying to figure out, um, you know, configuration of, of, of that piece of it. Also, there's a lot of implementation that we have ahead of us on that. So we'll be working with the universities and, uh, and consultants uh, moving forward to try to determine processes and procedures that can you know, really make that policy uh, real at a practical level. So uh, you know, I'd say we've got another year of that ahead of us before we can really uh, you know, move, start to move the needle and start mm -hmm. to see some of the results of these efforts. The, the devil is truly always in the details, and those are the parts that the, most of the public don't see most of the time. Uh, and, you know, obviously, ACEC being who we are, we're huge fans of infrastructure and then caring for that infrastructure and maximizing the value moving forward. So excited to know or uh, anticipate increased opportunities for partnership between ACC members and the board as we uh, get into a position to address some of those things moving forward. Uh, last call on the issue side. Anything else that uh, you think our listeners would be wrapped around the axle to know about, or does that cover most of it for I for th now? I think that's uh, that's all I've got for you today. Fair enough. Well, let's exit with this then. Um, again, some of our listeners know you, but because you've been here a little over a year and because of COVID, even some of our folks that work in the vertical world probably haven't had a chance to meet you yet. Tell me a little bit about your experience here so far um, what are the most rewarding parts about your job here uh, what do you enjoy most about interfacing with the consulting engineering community i'll i'll solicit a shameless positive uh <laughs> anecdote about that 
and then maybe leave you with this as the last question, and you can address all of these in whatever sequence you want. What's going to create the most change in both the way your office does business and the way our members will interface with you and what their work will look like moving forward? You know, we just had COVID. We just had the conclusion of a, of a massive study of facility utilization. We've got technology. We've got workforce shortages. I mean, so many things. Um, tell us what you love about the job. Tell us uh, what you love about interfacing with ACC Kansas members, another shameless plug. And then tell us what you think is uh, going to be the most impactful change uh, moving forward over the next three, five, ten years of your career. Well, wow, let's see. I'm going to try to tie that all up. I'm going to I'm going to focus on technology as a way here to to highlight you know what I find rewarding, and then also uh, as as kind of a topical um, issue with respect to what will bring the most change. It's in the way we've kept in touch, the way we've continued to collaborate through this challenging year. I mean, the technology has been there, but you know when the when the real uh, you know problems hit and you know how do you continue doing your work how do you stay in touch and, and stay aligned i'm i'm amazed that uh over the course of this year you know everybody has uh utilized uh you know, various software interfaces to continue reaching out and, and having meaningful conversations i've had uh I think I've probably had more conversations this year than in the past, probably because of some of our circumstances and, yep. and have found that the engagement, you know, through, um, you know, wrestling with this, how do you keep getting things done? What, what kind of insight do, do these situations bring to mind? Uh, it's, it's been a pretty meaningful year with respect to, um, you know, working with others. And, and I'd say, you know, that is the, that's the, thing I'm most excited about and grateful for in this position. Uh, Board of Regents office and the Board of Regents, uh, amazing collaborative culture here. Um, you know, so much to learn and it's so easy to, to work together. I find that with the universities as well and, and definitely with the architecture and engineering consultants. You know, I feel like um, you know, maybe technology has given us the ability to, you know, have a more um, you know, you know, readily accessible way to reach out, you know, and we're no longer prohibited to, uh, you know, drive down the road and see each other. Looking forward to the opportunities to do that again more and more. But yeah, uh, for sure, we've just got another channel to tune in to each other now. And so I think that's gonna be a real benefit moving forward. And in terms of higher education, I would say, you know, technology has shown uh, a lot of potential over the course of this year, if there's any silver lining in it all, you know, um, utilizing technology to deliver coursework for, you know, maximize flexibility for increased student success. There's a lot of different uh, potentials there that I can, I think can be leveraged and that folks are looking into and studying. Uh, and that ties back into the facilities renewal too, right? There's, uh, there's a lot of uh, variables that I think are going to continue to be studied and analyzed evaluated over this next year and uh, i think we'll see some creative uh, possibilities emerge from from this you know i'd tag on to that just in the general sense not specific to the board of regents or our members in acec but the old saying never waste a crisis and i think if you have to find something you know positive to pull from the struggles of this covid time period uh, i don't think many people have wasted this crisis in terms of adapting 
new technology, new methods. Uh, we certainly evolved and learned and strengthened some things internally. It sounds like you guys did too. I do think that's a, it's difficult to take positive takeaways from something like the last year and some of the struggles it's caused, but I think that's one of them for sure. Yeah. Well, Chad, it has been a delight to visit with you. Uh, last call, anything else you need to say before we, or want to say before we wrap up? No, I just appreciate the opportunity, Scott. Uh, you know, talking about these topics is, uh, something that uh, I find very rewarding. You know, we've all got a lot of work to do. And yeah. uh, so uh, looking forward to it. It's talking to you next time. Shared passion for sure. Our, our members are, uh, we fully geek out over all of these infrastructure things as well. It is, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a topic of interest, but also of high impact uh, to Kansas as well as our member firms. Well, it's been a thrill to spend this time with you. I've enjoyed the time um, you've spent with me. We have a partnering committee between ACEC and the Board of Regents and OFPM and the Fire Marshal, and uh, you guys have been great partners at that table with us for a long time. We appreciate your investment there. Appreciate you making time today, and uh, I know our listeners will enjoy this, and we'll look forward to uh, working with you again moving forward on behalf of the membership and myself as well. Thank you, Scott. You bet. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to the QBS Express. I hope you will join us on the next episode.